From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. The coronavirus pandemic has laid bare the racial inequities that exist in the nation and here at home. Multnomah County is making a move to tackle the most challenging issues, such as death and disease rates, the pandemic, gun violence and community violence, by declaring racism a public health crisis. What exactly does that mean? And how will using a public health lens to address racism make a difference? Here to answer those questions and more, welcome to my guests, Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori and Multnomah County Interim Health Director Ebony Clark. Welcome back to Straight Talk. We appreciate you both being here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Let's begin Thank you. with Director Clark. Racism, let's define racism. We look at it in terms of being a public health crisis. Director Clark, you head up the state's largest health department with 1,400 employees. How do you define racism? What does it look like? Well, you know, I think that it's important to to step back and to think about the term uh, in, ter in terms of the context that we're trying to set. Oftentimes when folks hear the word racism, they automatic go automatically go to a personal perspective, thinking about private beliefs and assumptions. Um, I think a lot of times people think about, you know, individual prejudice, or people really think about personal actions and behaviors. But when we talk about racism at Multnomah County, we're talking about institutional racism and systemic racism um, from the perspective of recognizing and acknowledging how racism is embedded throughout our bureaucratic system from policy to practice. Um, it's thinking about how racism is embedded within our society, within our laws. And so, um, there's through lines to the criminal justice system, to housing, to healthcare, and to so much more. But it's looking at how we see racism and oppression, discrimination play out at the systemic level that reinforces ongoing uh, issues of disparities and inequities, especially in our um, black, indigenous, and other communities of color. And Chair Kafori, what does it mean when you say racism is a public health crisis? Well, um, I, I think that uh, Director Clark did a great job of, of describing the situation that we're in. And when you declare racism as a public health crisis, what you're saying is that it is, it's, it's not an issue that is, it's moved beyond the individual. It's something that we as a community need to tackle together. And um, we've been looking at Multnomah County for years at what causes disease and early death. And we see that disparities in, in social conditions, um, we see that different communities face different disparities. And those differences from, from cradle to grave are stark and persistent, but they're not inevitable. And so that is what Multnomah County's work is, is that we are committed to doing our part to confront these disparities head on. And we have a graphic from the CDC that shows the Hispanic, Latino population and black population have been hit hard in this country by the coronavirus when you compare percentage of cases to the percentage of the population. Director Clark, have we seen the same type of discrepancy in cases in Multnomah County? Um, absolutely, absolutely. We definitely tend to see these discrepancies specific to our Latinx 
are African-American and black. Um, and then, you know, also we tend to see discrepancies also in our Asian and Pacific Islander um, communities too, um, when we think about, you know, the impact of COVID-19 and how that's playing out in various communities of color. And or when we just think about the general um, health and wellness of specific communities. And Chair Kafori, are there other and, cities and counties that have also declared racism as a public health crisis? Yes, yes, there are. And I, I think that um, it was really important for Multnomah County to do this because it, it, it's about our values. It's about who we are. And when you have a county like ours, which is the most populous county in the state, taking this step, um, we're hoping that the state of Oregon will join in and we're hoping that other communities around our state will. Um, part of it is just is just talking about it and shedding some light on it um, and taking the time to educate ourselves and our community. And there are some people who don't believe racism is a problem in Multnomah County. Director Clark, you gave a talk on this and after your remarks, you got some blowback, some negative email denying racism exists here. Here's part of an email you received. It said, Ms. Clark, I'm a 61-year-old woman born and raised Oregonian. And I can assure you the rampant racism you say exists does not. I'm not quite sure why the people on the left are driving this narrative other than to divide the citizens of this country who want nothing more than to live in peace and harmony. Shame on all of you. Quit pushing the narrative and making it a health crisis. What was your initial reaction when you saw that email? Um, my initial reaction is, is that Folks don't understand the complexity of racism, um, the complexity of the work that we do. And my uh, initial reaction from an emotional standpoint is um, if one has not experienced or is unaware of racism, then I don't believe that one has the right to determine whether or not racism is real and alive and well. And Chair Kafori, does this email show we, we have a ways to go in this community and in this state when we talk about racism? Exactly. Um, and I first want to apologize, Ebony, that you received that email. That, that must have been, been painful. But it, it just shows that how difficult this conversation is. And what I would like to say to this woman is it's not about you. We're not talking about you. And I think people, when you start to talk about racism, they, they instinctually go right to some, that they think that it's their fault and that they've done something wrong and that, it's, it, that by having this conversation, somebody's gonna be blamed. And that is not, it, it's, it's not about, I mean, it is about individual acts, but it's so much bigger than that because our, the history of this country and is based on racism. And until we can start to break apart, well, first of all, acknowledge, but then break apart the, the, the laws, the practices, the procedures that make racism embedded in almost everything that occurs, um, you know, it, it's not going to be solved. And Chair Kafour, you're trying to tackle this in part through the county budget. You released your proposed budget last week at $2.8 billion. It is the largest one in county history, and it's billed as a once-in-a-generation budget. How would you describe your budget proposal and its purpose? Um, yes, this, county, this budget is the largest in, counties, in the county's history. And I'll talk first about the about the, our COVID response. And in this budget, it includes the American Rescue Plan dollars 
that um, have come to us from the federal government to address this largest uh, public health crisis that we've ever faced, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. And as you talked about, Laurel, in the opening, it, COVID revealed so many weaknesses in our system, but chief among them were that people of color were exposed to the virus more often because of their work and their living arrangements. And as a result, they got COVID more often than their white counterparts. And then they faced barriers to getting tested and getting caring and now getting the vaccine. So we've led with race in our COVID response. And that means that we start with prevention. Uh, we train and equip community health workers who, who are in community and they distribute the PPE and information to their members. And then we co-created working with community, co-creating interventions, policies and environments that promote health and safety. Um, for example, um, we've, we've partnered with community groups and communities of color to open our vaccine clinics, um, really trying to break down the vaccine hesitancy by having trusted community leaders and in comfortable places where people feel safe to go and get the vaccine. Well, tell us about some of the other parts of your budget that specifically focus on addressing racism. Um, yeah. We have applied um, the same racial lens to our entire budget. Um, we're looking at, at mental health, at education, at community violence. And in that way, we're investing in this budget, we're investing in crisis, urgent walk-in and school-based behavioral health services. Um, we fully fund uh, the REACH program, which is the racial and ethnic approach to community health. And that's to reduce chronic illness in black and African immigrant and refugee communities. Um, and we focus on reducing racism in the criminal legal system by funding a new convictions integrity unit in the district attorney's office, um, which will help address the historic imp impacts on black, indigenous and people of color. And Director Clark is the head of Multnomah County's health department. How do you think the budget will help to improve health outcomes for people of color? Um, it's going to help us essentially help people achieve their full potential. Um, I believe that the investments are going to start to increase individuals, children, youth, and families um, towards uh, success in attaining education, housing, um, not having to go to the ED to seek health care um, or behavioral health care. We're going to prevent individuals ending up homeless and houseless. And I, I read a couple of things in the budget. Maybe you could elaborate on Director Clark. It makes permanent an African-American mental health consultant for children and families impacted by community and gang violence, culturally specific mental health services for children, and data mapping for immigrant and refugee services. I know you also have a really extensive background in behavioral health. Can you elaborate a little bit more on those parts of the budget? Um, yes. So. We recognize that when we think about the issues of increased community violence that we're seeing within the pandemic, we think about the trauma. And, and so with that, we're thinking about how can we enhance or expand the services that we're providing from a behavioral health lens that um, is trauma-informed and also works from an equity lens. And so we are working to expand behavioral health services that really are targeted towards individuals who are impacted by community and gun violence and specifically working to assure that we have clinicians who um, represent the communities 
that are most impacted. So what that means is, is that we're going to have a diversified team, specifically individuals who are African-American, Latinx. Our goal is to have uh, individuals also who come from the immigrant and refugee community. And so those are just a couple examples. We also are working to build in services that involve individuals with lived experience, and we call those individuals peers, because what we know is, is that when you have someone there giving a helping hand that has walked the same path as you, it gives someone courage, it gives someone hope, and that's what our goal is. And Chair Kafori, I want to dig just a little bit more into your sizable investment in trying to change the criminal justice system. You talked about the Conviction Integrity Unit at the DA's office, something that the DA was really hoping to get funded. Also, it invests in creation of Black African Mobile Behavioral Team to serve individuals reentering the community from incarceration. Can you tell us a little bit more about those programs? Sure. I think, um, first of all, the District Attorney's um, Conviction Integrity Unit will um, we'll work with people to get their criminal backgrounds expunged and to help folks who may have been wrongfully uh, convicted in the first place. Um, we also have an expansion in our, in our Department of Community Justice. We have a community healing initiative and that reduce, is gonna reduce violence among African immigrant and refugee youth. Um, the Black African American Mobile Behavioral Health Team that you you mentioned it, that's going to serve uh, justice involved individual individuals who are re-entering the community from incarceration, and um, really, what you're hearing from Ebony and what you're hearing from me today is culturally specific programs, having um, people with lived experience as as Ebony said peers, but also having people who look like you who are from your community, um, who are helping their community members get through whatever issues they may be experiencing at that time. And this budget, as we said, is the biggest one. You, you've, this is your 11th budget, the biggest budget yet. It's propelled by an infusion of funds from three voter-approved measures and, as you mentioned, from the coronavirus relief package, the American Rescue Plan. How much are all those things helping you craft this budget? Um, they, are, they each play a really important role in in this budget we have you know our base budget and then as you said the the uh, coronavirus funds the um, arp dollars which are about in this budget about 90 million dollars um, and then we have the the homeless services measure it's a 52 million dollar um, investment uh, we have preschool for all and then we have we have our our library bond and we have um, used our same principles in addressing all of these new budgets um, by focusing with it with an equity lens. For example, um, I think people don't know that in Multnomah County, 40% of our patrons who live in East Portland and in, in East Multnomah County have only access to 20% of our library space. And right there, we know that that is what we, those are the kind of things that we know by using our equity lens that need to be rectified. So we will be increasing the number of libraries, both physical locations and also the services um, in East Portland and East Multnomah County. And, and you mentioned the preschool for all. How, give us a little bit more information on how that will help address racial inequity. Well, um, preschool is, is an extremely expensive uh, proposition for a lot of families. And by making preschool access free and open to every child, 
um, we're giving every every child access to um, to a, a bright future. Their studies show that if you have a quality, high quality preschool program, you're more likely to be successful, graduate from high school, and go on um, to be successful in life. Um, we also know, though, we saw again during this um, coronavirus, the number of women who left the workforce because they no longer had those childcare options, and so they went home to be with their families. So this measure is also um, is also helpful for families and for parents who have been struggling to be at home with their kids while they're trying to hold down a job, and maybe they had to give up their job. Chair Kafori, Director Clark, it's time for us to take a break. We'll continue our conversation with Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori and County Health Director Ebony Clark, tackling racism as a public health crisis. How will they measure success? We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter and welcome once again to my guests, Multnomah County Chair Deborah Kafori and Multnomah County's Interim Health Director Ebony Clark. We're talking about racism and how Multnomah County is addressing it as a public health crisis. Now, I've had the pleasure of having you both on the show before and we've talked about your backgrounds and I want to talk a little bit about that now. You both grew up in Portland. Chair Kafori, you grew up in Northeast. Both your parents were teachers. You thought of your family as very progressive. Your mom is the late Gretchen Kafori, who was really a trailblazer in Oregon politics and an activist. And Director Clark, your background was very different. You overcame a lot of obstacles. You were born to a heroin addicted mother and you lived in foster care before eventually being reunited with your mother, then lived in a recovery center with your mom while she became clean and sober and you and your mom became very close. I know you both learned a lot from your moms, but with two very different backgrounds. And I wanna begin with Director Clark. I mean, how has your background shaped and informed you in your position as the head of the county's health department and also as the county now is tackling racism as a public health crisis? Yeah, my background has uh, helped me understand the importance of resiliency. And um, it's helped me understand and uphold that people are resilient. And what I oftentimes, when we think about the stories and the experiences um, of individuals similar to mine, I think far too often we end up writing them off or creating a narrative where um, they will not be successful. And that's not the case. And um, we are capable. And I think it's important to get um, my story out there. And um, I think that it's important to remember uh, how when you have a unique experience and you're able to fold that into the work that you do, into um, leadership, it, it just solidifies um, the, not only the commitment to the work, but the importance of those that provide the service, those that create the programming, those that establish policy, the importance of having individuals um, with that lived experience at the table so that then we can continue to bring voice. Um, so yes, resiliency, grace, and forgiveness. And you are now heading up the, the largest health department in the state. Chair Kafori, we talked about you grew up in a progressive family. What have you learned about your own perceptions, your, your frame of reference about race in this city and how have those views evolved? Thanks, Laurel. Um, my parents moved to Northeast Portland specifically to um, for, for me to grow up in a, in a diverse community. 
um, the schools that I went to, the the neighbors that we had, and and it was it was great because I was able to to learn about the history of Portland, not from books, because we didn't, we didn't teach, they didn't teach that in school in those days, but I learned about it from my neighbors, about Vanport and about redlining and, all, uh, and about um, the, the community that used to exist um, there before the, the Rose Quarter. And, but I do think also it, it, it gave me kind of a false sense of what things were like in the rest of, of our community. So since I've been at the county, I've really tr worked on trying to figure out what is the best role for me to play in disrupting racism. Um, and learning that as a, as, as a white person, I do have a really important role, which is to, um, to talk to my peers and to get them to see where racism exists, racism exists in our community to um, and not just to be anti-racist, but to, to be to to vocally disrupt racism. And then I've also learned um, that importance of um, of stepping out of the way when it's necessary and letting leaders of color, uh, black women in particular, um, giving them the space and the authority to make the kind of changes that will make a difference for all of our community. And I think um, Ebony really exemplifies exemplifies that. Well, in your effort to address racism as a public health crisis, how do you think you're going to measure success, Doc, uh, Director Clark? How long do you think it's going to take? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, I think that success is based on um, us being able to see increased access to health care, behavioral health services. Success is measured by seeing increased individuals um, attaining housing um increased uh individuals that we serve being able to um complete high school um and so i think that it's really important for us to remember that um, it's a process and we got to think about what are the short-term and long-term gains that we want to move forward and so with that you know it's important that we center um, our focus specific to leading with race. And so what that means is, is in the short term, what our hope is, is that we want to see uh, increased individuals of color starting to trust the system and trust our services to say, yes, you know what, I need some mental health services and I'm willing to give it a shot. So my hope is in six months, 12 months, that as we start to look at the numbers utilizing our services, as we start to look at the numbers of individuals completing our services, that we'll see an, a continued upward trajectory of especially people of color utilizing our services. We have about 30 seconds left for each of you for, uh, for a closing thought, uh, Chair Kafori. Thank you. I just want to tell people that we are turning the corner on this on this pandemic. Um, one in every two adults are vaccinated. And even with this latest surge, we are on our way to recovery. But it is not just good. It's not good enough to go back to what was normal because normal was not working for people who spend the night on, the, on our sidewalks. It's not working for women who've lost their jobs due to lack of childcare. And it's not working for kids who are caught in community violence normal is not good enough and that we need to to rebuild in a better way and i know that we can because i have this community i've seen this community come together around covid in ways that they never have before so i have hope for the future and director clark we just have about 15 or 20 seconds for you to for a final thought 
Um, I just want to say that we have to name it, we have to acknowledge, and we have to act. We are well positioned to work to undo all of the harms and the hurts. And I just want to close by saying racism hurts all of us, and we all hold a piece of the puzzle to pieces. All right, Director Clark, Ebony Clark, Chair Deborah Kafori, thank you for joining us here on Straight Talk. Always a pleasure to have you here, and good luck. And thank you for watching. And remember, you can listen to Straight Talk as a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast. Search for KGW Straight Talk. Join us next week when we celebrate 20 years since the FDA approved Gleevec, a drug used to treat patients with a once deadly cancer. Since then, thousands of lives have been saved. It was pioneered by OHSU's own Dr. Brian Drucker. Dr. Drucker joins us along with a patient whose life was saved by Gleevec. What's next in cancer care? That's next week here on Straight Talk. Join us then. Have a great week.